0: So 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3 verses 6 to 15, hear the word of God. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in, in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. The grass withers, the flower fades, but God's holy and errant word abides forever. May he bring his blessing. It was a bit of providence as I was uh, preparing this message that this past week I saw a bumper sticker on a car directly in front of me uh, at a stoplight, and this bumper sticker was advocating for four-hour workdays. Can you imagine? <laughs> four-hour workdays. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You only have to work four hours, and you get everything you need every day. That, that's something. You know, in my younger years, and it's still going on, there's a great advocacy going on for four-day work weeks, and, uh, you know, there's this uh, attitude uh, that uh, one of the reasons we have such an increase in mental health issues is that there's too much stress and pressure placed upon people in work environments, and, Maybe that is the case for some. I don't want to be dismissive of that. But I believe in God's Word that tells us that we have greater mental issues when we are not working, when we are not about business and duties and responsibilities. It used to be when I was in my younger years that full-time work meant 40 hours a week minimum. And that's how you ended up gaining benefits from the company that you work for. And I saw over the course of my time within the business world that that moved down to 35 hours a week and then down to 32 hours a week. And now it's 30 hours a week that's counted full-time work. And, And I say this as an aside, but in all seriousness... Even with all of these decreases in work days and work hours, mental health issues are not decreasing. They're increasing. And so there there must be something more to this. Well, let's make it a little more personal about work. We know that commandment, six days you shall work. And we know That there is no job, there is no work environment, even if you're a student at universities or colleges or in schools, grade schools and high schools. Work can have its issues. Let me ask you how many of you have complained about your job? How many of you have complained about your employer or your professor and teacher? or about your workload, or about your colleagues. I'm glad none of you are raising your hands because we'd all see our hands up in that list, wouldn't we? <laughs> no, 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 Don't point out anyone. We are all that way. We all find ourselves, do we not, complaining, especially when it comes to work. I find myself in one of those very precarious positions because if I start complaining about my boss or my colleagues or those who I'm serving, uh, well, God's my CEO, if you will. So there's a, a greater danger to that. But it is, I think, an understanding Christians need to have that work is hard. Paul even addresses this when he says that in verse 8 there, we worked with labor and toil. Where do those words meet us? What did God do when Adam fell in his sin? What did he say about all his work? That it would be laborious and toilsome. And we should expect that. But what I have found is this growing attitude, and this is my own empirical evidence of listening to people and sometimes listening to myself, that when we start a job, it starts out very uh, you know, uh, satisfying, exciting, it's new, it's refreshing, and then at some point we meet a hardship and it's running through our minds. Why did I ever do this? Why did I ever take this? as if there should be no hardship in our endeavors. I know workaholics exist. I don't meet too many of them nowadays. I'll tell you what I do meet. In our climate of socialism, and this is just a, a brief passing political statement, but in our climate of socialism, there is a more pervasive unwillingness to work, where many work less and yet still expect more. And that's a contradiction, at least within the Christian life, the attitude that we should be getting things for not necessarily nothing, but for a whole lot less than what we have worked for or earned. Paul addresses that in this letter to the church. You might think, what a strange thing for Paul to bring up when he's dealing in these two letters, he's dealing with the the church preparing itself in this life on this earth for the return of Christ and how we are to be dealing with the difficulties of persecution and hatred from the world, how we are to be a church shining as light and truth in the world, upholding the gospel. And isn't it something that he closes out this letter with a very lengthy section about how the Christian is to work? How we are to give ourselves over to it. Why does he bring up this issue When persecution and false teachers and that pagan culture knocking on the door of the church seem to be more of a concern in our minds. Well, if you have been following these two letters carefully, you will see that he has been hinting at this issue for quite some time. And it's here that he specifically calls it out and calls it what it is. A disorderly conduct in verse 11, uh, sorry, in verse 6, a disorderly conduct that is not according to the tradition that you have received from us. And further on in verse 11, we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all. This word disorderly means, it's a military word. It means when a soldier steps out of line, steps out of rank, and then causes others to stumble. You know why soldiers march and march and march? They march everywhere and never end up anywhere. But they march and they march and they march, and it's drilled in them to march. Why? Because it brings order into their actions when they are doing other tasks. And they are learning to march in sync with one another because they depend on one another in those military ranks. That's the word that he's using here to say that we're disorderly if we aren't working. And it's not just working about an employment endeavor. It's it's working in all that we do within our lives. Think of that commandment. Six days you shall work. It's a commandment within the commandment. What's the first line of that commandment? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall work. The seventh day is not a day for those earthly Secular, social employments. But worship is work. It's just a different kind of work. But six days you shall work. And for a Christian to take up a lifestyle where they are idle and unwilling to work, not unable, let me stress that. I'll stress it again a couple more times. We're not talking about those unable to physically work. But those who are unwilling, well, Paul here links it directly to the return of Christ. And that forward thinking that the Christian is to have in their life, as we look to that return of Christ in the coming kingdom of God, we are to be about what? Our master's business in all that we do. Our work is important to the Lord. It's not a new problem where Christians or God's people become disorderly, idle, slothful, or sluggard. Those are the words to define that one word that we sum it all up as, lazy. A parent, you know what it's like to have a child that is lazy lazy, and you have to clean up after them, and if your home was like our home, you've often quoted uh, that verse 10, if you're not going to work, you're not going to eat, and usually it means no dessert, we don't starve our kids, but we keep them from enjoying certain things, don't we? Because laziness is Sinful. In fact, if you were to go to Proverbs, you would see that that's one of the top issues dealt with in the book of Proverbs, along with anger and lust and other things. Children, listen to this. This is, this is what I always found funny. You know how uh, you can sometimes have it all reasoned out in your mind why you didn't do Some particular job that your parents gave you to do. But I like Proverbs 26 because it it shows the foolishness of those arguments. But how many of you have ever said this? The, The lazy man says, there's a lion in the street. A fierce lion in the streets. I can't go out and work. Well, he was making it up, of course, because the very next verse says, as the door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man. On his bed. I can't get out of bed today. I'm just too tired. And so we make up excuses. That promote. Our laziness. And it's not a new issue. Solomon wrote that. About 3,000 years ago. It's part of the fallen heart. Idleness slothfulness, sluggardly, lazy. Those are things that God condemns within Scripture. And here too in our text, and, and Paul has brought this up before, and one of the biggest reasons that he's dealing with this is because of the unnecessary burden and disruption to the church that, that sluggardly, people have brought, but even more, how that has brought shame to the name of Christ. Now, we don't think in those terms, but we ought to, because we are commanded, and if you're a good Presbyterian, you know that first question of our Shorter Catechism. What is your chief end? The chief end of man is to? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And the the connection here is very clear that those who aren't working aren't glorifying God. In fact, they're shaming Him before the world. Paul wrote in other places, but I just want to quote Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or deed, even how you speak, but even more, how you Uh, Act and conduct yourself and do your work. Whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What a verse, Colossians 3.17, to apply to your work environment, whether it's school or in employment or in giving yourself over to particular activities. Christ commands us to work. See, that, that's the first point to, to realize. We are commanded to work. Idleness is sinful. What would it be as Paul here is bringing it out, both in verse 6 and as well in verse 14, that the church disciplines those who will not. Cannot, but who will not work. Isn't that something? Some of the things we don't think are very necessarily disciplinary uh, sins. But he tells us so explicitly, I mean, this, this should make us sober thinking in this. Withdraw from someone who walks in such a disorderly manner. If anyone doesn't obey this word, note that person, don't keep company with him so that he can experience shame. That's strong language. You probably never thought of it in that light. But it does bring us back to what I asked you earlier. It brings us back to that whole thing about complaining about our work environments. I'll touch on that a little more, but... But I want you to understand the commandment that's given to us. As God's people, it's a command to work. And Paul uses that word three times in verse 6, verse 10, and verse 12. Command it. We're commanded to be a people who are busy in our life doing things for the glory of God. In our employment circles, in your educational system. Uh, circles, and even in your home life, your social life. In fact, Paul saw that the issue of those who weren't working and who were disrupting the church and burdening the people and bringing shame to the name of Christ, Paul saw that in Thessalonica, anyways, it was such a problem. He, Paul, and Silas made sure they worked for their keep when they were there serving the gospel in the kingdom of God, so that they could set an example for others. Even though, as he says in verses 7 to 9, even though we have that authority to live and to receive a blessing from the ministry and work of the gospel, we determined to make ourselves an example of how you should live your life. Working hard. And that's Christ's command to our lives. To work. 6 days you shall work. And to understand that work is work and labor is a creational ordinance. It's not something that came because of the fall. First thing God did with Adam after he created him. Genesis 2:15. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden To what? To tend, to work and keep it. God's given us creation for the purpose of tending and keeping to his glory. But it's also a moral commandment. It belongs within the realm of those Ten Commandments, that moral law of God. That as today we are remembering the Sabbath, tomorrow... Six days you shall labor. That word labor is serve. Think about that. Six days you shall labor, or better, six days you shall serve and do all your work. Who are you serving? You might think, I'm serving my employer, I'm serving myself, I'm serving my teacher, I'm serving my parents. You might think, I'm serving my children. No, ultimately, as it falls under the moral law, we're serving God. He's the chief focus that we, that we give ourselves over to. Your labor and your work, your employment, your schooling, those things are not separate from your Christian spiritual life. And it's a command, a moral command. And as a moral command, understand this, dear Christian, it is something that the Lord Jesus will bring into judgment. That, that's serious, isn't it? this seems weighty and heavy. It, it, it will become more glorious as we move along here. But this has to be impressed upon us, especially in a day in which everyone wants everything for nothing. And that I don't believe that is a, a misconjecture of our society. That's what Western Western world life is like. But Jesus will bring everything into judgment. And you think about the parable of the talents. Think about the giftings and the uh, abilities that you have been given by God. What does he do with those to whom he's given talents? In Matthew 25, he talks about coming back and settling accounts with each one. And the Lord will be doing that with you. Settling those accounts and... They're pretty serious in verses 21 and 23. The two that did work with what they had been given. Listen to their judgment. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And then there's that servant who wouldn't work. He had a bad view of who his boss was. I knew you were a hard man, and reaping and sowing where you did not scatter seed. <laughs> so I hid your talent. Here, it's yours again. And they just say that with the tone in which he's expressing it. And what did God, what did the Lord Jesus say of the judgment of this man? Verse twenty-six. You wicked and lazy servant. (laughs) What a a thing. You wicked and lazy servant. Cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Isn't that sobering? Does God judge laziness? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we're all saying in our minds right now, thank you, Lord, that laziness is not an unforgivable sin. <laughs> and it isn't. Uh, that, that is very true of all but one sin. And that's amazing. But he brings out the consequences here of disorderliness to bring forth that, that urging and exhorting to Proper orderliness in our works and our labors. The consequences of disorderliness there uh, in verse 10. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. It's a discipline. And why does God bring out an understanding of discipline to laziness? Because, as we will see, the honor of our Lord and the honor of our Father is at stake. Not your honor, but the honor of the one whom you serve. And, and so with, with all of that exhorting, let, let's turn to what's the second point in, in this message, and that is the dignity Christ brings. Toward work. Christ brings dignity to everything in our life that we are called to do. I think some of you have probably expressed some of these sentiments and jokes. Uh, uh, the one I read this past week, I've heard it often, but it's I owe, I owe, it's off to work, I go. Work fascinates me. I could watch it for hours. Yeah. Yeah. Some of us do. But I want to I set this. When you think Christ brings dignity toward work, I want you to start thinking about this question. Why do you work? Why are some of you incurring Significant bills to get an employment that you work at. Some of you are new to this, so I can say it again because I've, I've used it before, but do you know what the rat race is? It's where you go off to university and gain a debt that you struggle to pay back to get a job that you don't necessarily like and will one day complain about so that you can Earn money that you're not allowed to spend, to buy things you can't afford, to keep up with people you don't like. That's the rat race. You ask the average person at university, why are you here? And they will talk about what is their goal in life. Why do you work? Pay bills? To have a comfortable life? To enjoy life? to, as Ecclesiastes 3 and 5 said, to eat, drink, and be merry? What happens when your job isn't fulfilling anymore? You could be like me and have that midlife moment where you change your focus of employment. Not that it was a crisis. I want to clarify that. It wasn't a crisis. Why do you work? And if God is not the focus preeminently of that, who is? It's self. What happens when self becomes the focus of why we do things? Well, when work is no longer fulfilling, when I find myself complaining about the environment I'm in, or how taxing the work is, or it's more than I thought it would be, We give up. Now, I'm not saying it's bad necessarily to look for something better. Don't read that into it. But I want you again to see in verse 8, Paul makes very clear that it doesn't matter whatever profession, whatever job you put your hand to, whatever task even within the church that you take up to do to the glory of God— Work will always have these two things attached to it. Labor and toil, verse 8. Labor and toil. Now those words don't mean uh, serving and functioning and doing just simply a hard job. That word labor means (laughs) grievous. It will have Troubling hardships. We are working for the gospel. How much more noble of a profession can you have than promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ and planting and building churches? Not to say that that's the only noble one, but I mean, putting it in that perspective and you would think, wonderful, great, we send you off to it. And I remember in my early days of ministry thinking, I'm going to preach God's word you know how hard that became? When it's not received? Or you get eight compliments and two criticisms? I'm, I'm not singling my profession out solely on that. You're going to face it. <laughs> when Paul says here, we, we worked with hard labor and toil that word toil painful difficulties it wasn't easy and you think about that that those words that's that's the judgment that god has brought to our labor where we Before the fall in Adam, could enjoy and experience the blessing and happiness of hard work. Do you think gardening in the Garden of Eden was just simply a breeze? It was enjoyable because the heart was set on glorifying God. But with the fall, work was cursed with toil, sweat, thorns, thistles. There is a vanity, an emptiness, a seemingly worthlessness to any work we do. If it's outside of Christ, why do you work? My friends, I believe very much that what Paul is exhorting and encouraging here is an understanding that as hard as our jobs can be at times, as painful, as grievous, uh, that the toil of it can be that when the Lord Jesus is preeminent in our work, he's the one who removes the vanity of it who resets the high calling of all the labors of our hands in service to the glory of God, our Creator. You know, Jesus even said in Matthew 6, your preeminent purpose in work, whatever it is, isn't to pay your bills. It isn't to provide. What did he say in Matthew 6? And I think it's four four or five times he says, Don't worry about those things. I clothe the fields of a thousand hills. I can get a raven to feed a man for six months in the desert. Elijah. God can do those things. What does he say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And those things will be added to you. But in your workplace, Christ is the one who brings joy, especially when the ease and merriment and fulfilling nature of vocation is lacking. And my friends, you will face that. What moves you on? The glory of our God. Who in his wonderful providence has me in this place at this time to serve him. And you can bet in Christ the dignity he brings toward work. In Christ an eternal blessing is gracing our earthly labors. That's a promise. And in those troubling times, Christ brings a dignity to it in that his redemption applies even to the work of our hands. Bringing to us contentment. First Timothy 6. Sufficiency, joy, gratitude. He works these graces within our hearts that we can see him meeting and blessing all our unworthy and undeserving efforts. He redeems our selfish spirits when we work with our hands in order to give to his glory in blessing others, Ephesians 4.28. He establishes the works of our hands to Serve his kingdom's purpose. He brings dignity to it. When we set our hearts. On glorifying God. On serving his kingdom. Whatever we are doing. Christ dignifies. Our efforts. And that's what starts. That's what starts to set the Christian apart. In this world. That is so used to complaining and grumbling about everything. And the last, Christ is the one who glorifies our work. Not that we are focused on an earthly reward. Work isn't in and of itself rewarding like we think it ought to be. But Christ brings glory into our work. By ensuring that whatever good we do glorifies the Father. Remember what he said in Matthew 5, verse 16. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good what? Your good works. And therefore, by them seeing your good works, what will they do? They will glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do you understand when you put that into perspective of grumbling and complaining, how does that glorify God? How can Christ bring glory to the Father in our efforts? But He does. He will glorify your labors to God. That's that's His ministry in the works of your hands. Commit your day to the Lord with that thought in mind. Christ what I am about to do. In this coming week. Let the works of my hands. Be good to your glory. That the light of Christ shining in me. Will bring glory to the Father. What a prayer. What a focus of life. And know. The glory that Christ brings to all your earthly labors, which will be judged as we've already heard. He has waiting for you an eternal reward. And it is an eternal reward in the high calling of the glory of God, where he will say to you, and aren't these words that we want to hear? Well done. Good and faithful servant. Wow, what words to be echoed. How many times do we struggle in our own homes to be able to say to to our children or to hear it from our spouses, well done, good and faithful. It's hard. But when Christ is, as Paul is urging on here in this kingdom-mindedness, When Christ is the focus of all we do, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the Lord. There's a kingdom-mindedness here. And that kingdom-mindedness begins, my dear friends, when we wake up tomorrow morning We ready ourselves for that classroom and that one subject we don't like or that work environment which is very taxing and hard to fulfill. When we wake up tomorrow and begin to work for the next six days, seek the kingdom that Christ has prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. He will glorify the Father in your work. That is right.